Hi everyone, and welcome to Paratalk. Tony, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Maybe you yeah, should just hi. hi. Maybe you should describe your podcast because it is something a little bit different. Yeah, okay. So I can describe it, but I probably inevitably end up rambling about how it started and things. So it is basically a weekly. We do a weekly classic ghost or horror story. Yeah. So, but when I say classic, we we did do some living authors, but you know you know thinking of the weird tales love proper but less less well-known um authors oh clark ashton smith and people like that who is well known but um wesley rosenquest for example mm -hmm. but also people like edgar Allan poe edith wharton um not henry james i always say henry james william james oh yeah henry james is what i mean william's his brother i always mix those two up um ef benson you know so the classic yeah. if people are familiar mr james people who are familiar with these but we we range. Um, we've even done a, Nick, a Neil Gaiman, I think, and uh, Stephen King. But so we go from probably about the earliest one, seventeen eighty. I think E. T. A. Hoffman's Sandman is about that, or maybe early early eighteen hundreds, uh, up to um, probably well, live authors recently. So yeah, so I say classic. Some are definitely would be considered classic. Other uh, others are less well known. But yeah, that's a long answer to a short question. Actually, my my, um, my second question, uh, which really should have been my first question, but I suppose it's my second now. H how did that come about? Because it, okay. is, is it did you kind of have this, you know, want to do it or did it just happen? Yeah. Well, uh, so. Uh, so I think probably think about the early 1990s, I I got involved in a live action role playing uh Cthulhu-based live-action role-playing run by a couple of guys who called themselves uh, Mr. Hack and Mr. Slaughter. And uh, we, they used to organize these things in lonely farmhouses and down um, uh, slate mines and all sorts of stuff, things you wouldn't get away with these days. Uh, and there, there, was a, there were horror story themes, so inevitably you ended up getting eaten by a monster or a werewolf camping and things like that. So then I thought, this is really great. I'd really like to go to proper haunted so I, I started going around so-called proper haunted places. This was before Most Haunted or anybody like this. Mm -hmm. And I did a, I, I put together a website. This is probably late night, mid to late nineties. I'm called Haunted Britain and Ireland. And we used to go and visit hotels and other places, castles and things, and write a little bit about them. And we discovered a lot of places which were later plundered by a lot of the popular TV shows with no credits. We'd suddenly find places we'd researched appear on that. I say we, it was me really. Uh, and so, okay, so I spent a lot of time going around and then leading these. We did uh, tours to these places. And um, it, it, and then I started writing my own stories to go, to go with it. And I became a bit disenchanted by your true ghost story. And mm. I'm sure, given the nature of your podcast, you'd be familiar with, you know, so a spirit of a yeah. monk is seen at such and such a well or the gray lady and you go okay fine so what but there's no dramatic shape to them so i then became interested in fictional ghost stories and horror stories because they are more satisfying and they they kind of go somewhere actually one of the reasons that you might think the ghost story is true is because it's utterly pointless i remember a guy telling me he went around a corner near this graveyard inevitably in the fog and there was a um a coach and horses there on a modern road mm -hmm. And you're like, and then, and then what? Well, nothing. They just, I drove on, never saw it again, never seen it before, <laughs> you know? 
yeah. you go, oh, that's, I, I want a bit more from it. So then I started thinking, well, let's, so I got into fictional stories and then I thought, well, I could do a podcast about this. And I did it coming up three years old in September and we, I just re read stories out and, and my cunning plan was that I would put some of my own stories in there and people would like them and go off and buy them. And so it was like a marketing thing, but then I got quite taken up with just reading people's stories, um, you know, of the, of the masters, if you like. And, uh, it, it got an audience for that as well. And it's just gone on since then. It, it spilled over into YouTube, yeah. you know, Patreon, things like that. So, I mean, this whole, uh, story reading stories is quite mm. a thing at the moment there's a lot of podcasts out there but um i've noticed that there's only a few that do it really well and oh. i've i've had a few i mean i had clem on uh who is uh ghost tales by the fireside he's got okay. this kind of thing that you know he does and he does it very well and of course your show jumped out at me and i thought this tony i need to get him on my show because these sh these these episodes really pull you in it what's <laughs> the kind of preparation when you pick a story and you think I'm going to narrate this, I'm going to retell it. Uh, do you kind of uh, make it your own or do you just read it off the page? Mm. So the two were, you know, I spent a lot of time reading ghost stories. Mm -hmm. So, um, anthologies and things like that. And then also people recommend stories I've never heard of. So that kind of, and I've got to go, I can go through a big anthology. I mean, Roald Dahl did his book of ghost stories and he said he'd read, 700 ghost stories and most of them were rubbish and there's an awful lot that are but there are some that are good and so i go through them and i could put a little sticker on the ones i think would work and then other people recommend their favorite ghost stories often i've never heard of them and i'll have a look at them and and it's something about there are issues about copyright you have to be careful of mm -hmm. there are issues about length i mean i've done some pretty long ones i've done um turn of the screw which is long i've done um the man whom the trees love by uh, algernon blackwood which is long uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, which is long, and and you know, what I find is, the long ones don't don't hold the audience in the same way. People seem to like them about an hour, hmm. so that helps me pick them. That isn't quite what you said, but that's how I select them, and then I basically just read them. I do a little bit of thinking about the voices, what voices I'm going to do, um, you know, either successfully or not. Um, most of the time, actually people rarely, 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 um, slag off the voices. I mean, if I do an American or a Scottish, I'm rarely rare or Australian, rarely does anybody comment on that. People in the early days, I used to get this stuff about, you shouldn't be reading this story because this is, this is written. I mean, the turn of the screw is mm -hmm. written by a man, but the main character is a woman. So people were saying, um, you, sh you should be a woman. I'm going, well, I, I can't really do that. Um, so I've just got to do it as best I can. So I suppose I just read it as best I can. Mm. And um, if I like the story, that helps. And I tend not to do stories that I don't like. You know, you like them some more than others, inevitably, yeah. So I kind of just read them. And I, we started doing, before COVID, we did a few live tours. And I had a, a friend of mine who's an actor mm -hmm. uh, come along. And he he spelled me off, as we say. So he I would do one, he would do one. And then we'd do about three or four in the evening. We also had um, Jonathan um, from uh, the Hartwood Institute. He's very into hauntology, uh, which is all this electronic stuff inspired by the weird TV of the 1970s. Mm -hmm. uh, and he would come and do music for us as well. And so we'd put on a kind of a, a show like that. 
And that was all stopped by COVID and we haven't quite got back into it. But the point of me saying this is that I, occasionally people will come up and go, why don't you do it like a storyteller? And that's a, so reading a story is different from storytelling. And I know storytellers, you know, who sit and do it from memory. Yeah. And I'm quite interested in doing that, but I, I don't do that. I may do one day, but I don't do now, no. I think two of my classic favourite authors is, of course, the great M.R. James mm-hmm. and E.F. Benson. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I love hearing stories narrated, retold by those two authors. What do you think it, that uh, someone brings to who, when they write a story, what's the ingredients? What do they need to have to have a really good supernatural horror mm. ghost story? Okay, so you need to... There are certain things that are... There are tropes, you know, that we expect in a story that we want. So if, if I said to you, I'm going to do a Western, but it doesn't have any horses, doesn't have any cowboys, and doesn't have any guns, and you're going to, that's not really a Western. So there are certain things that we need to have. And the ghost story arises from the, the Gothic tale originally. So in the 1800s, they started writing this Gothic literature about it was set in monasteries and ruins and castles. So, you know, and that's gone through into the ghost story. So very often we have, a um a place like that it can even be a modern ruin or a mine or a storage unit but we have to have a, a, a kind of a unusual place i think and i know i'm as i'm saying this i'm thinking of the recent poltergeist stories you know that's been a big thing over mm-hmm. the last couple of years yeah. with uncanny and things like that um set in pretty suburban ordinary areas but um you, you know traditionally in a traditional story like this particularly E.F. Benson, M.R. James, it's going to be in an old house, a big old house in the country, or it's going to be in an abbey or a castle or something like that. So you need, you do, you need those to give it the ghost story flavor. There has to be a supernatural element. There was a period in the early um, part of the 20th century when there was a revolt against the supernatural, and you en- ended up with a lot of stories that were like Scooby-Doo, whereby it was unmasked, it wasn't really a ghost after all. You know. But uh, pr- I actually prefer them child of my times i suppose if there is a real super it turns out to be a supernatural uh, element so you're going to have the supernatural obviously mm-hmm. and then um you need to the, the other things are you need to be able to write a story which is in writing a story it, the putting together the shape of a story is pretty much the same whether you're writing a western or a detective story or a spy novel or any genre fiction or a fantasy story um that you tend to have to have character you can relate with that you in in a ghost story you put in a dangerous place you usually make that person on their own you can throw the elements in which is very gothic goes right back to the castle of a and things like that back in the 1700s uh you know the weather's terrible um, it's raining or it's snowing and you're all alone and your mobile phone doesn't work and if your light goes out you know you want to isolate the character but then you basically have a person you put in danger and then for a good story you twist it so you lead the you lead the audience down the garden path, so they believe one thing, and then you turn it around so it's actually something else. But you've got to have you've got to have planted that seed at the beginning, or else they just go, ah, that's ridiculous. But if you say if you have you know I can't let's think off the cuff, a weird vicar says something significant at the beginning, but you don't know it's significant at the beginning at the beginning, and at the end. Aha, you go, aha, your twist is that. And it's shown to be in a different light 
um, mm. then that works. So I suppose the answer to that is you need to be able to tell a story much as you would tell uh, a detective story, but you, you need certain key elements such as the bad weather, the isolation, the, um, the, the, the gothic place, whether that be a storage unit or a quarry or whatever. It's somewhere out of the way. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it, really. So folklore uh, plays mm. a, obviously plays a big part in these kind of stories because obviously mm. back in the day we everything was told to each other. Um, mm. Are there folklore tales out there that you've looked at that seem just seem impossible to sort of put onto the page and narrate in retail in a in an, in an understandable way? Um, yes, but so. There's a whole genre of folk horror yeah. that deals often with folkloric themes. The only ones you can't tell are the ones that, are, like I was saying at the very beginning, don't do anything. So, you know, there is a, there is a, 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 a story in this particular locale of a, of a... I'll give you an example. It was a story I wrote, I wrote called Ichi of Bassenthwaite. I live in Cumbria. And mm -hmm. um, so Ichi of Bassenthwaite is supposed to be some kind of fish monster that lives in the lake. There's very little known about it. So that's a piece of folklore. So when I wrote a story, I had to pretty much make up a load of stuff. Uh, and there's another one, uh, Bella Sheephead, uh, which, is, which is a similar thing. And there's this kind of sheep-headed monster that's supposed to be seen wandering around, but no much, nothing much else. And that, that won't make a story. So you need to, if, to... There's one, actually, the Kroglin Vampire. So the Kroglin Vampire um, was a story about a place in East Cumbria, a very remote area. Uh, supposedly the only true English vampire story, so it was told as a purportedly true story. And there may have been fragments. There was a guy called Elliot O'Donnell who went around in the late Victorian period collecting these folklore stories and pretty much embellishing them to make them into a dramatic shape. So the Kroglin vampire, as, it, as we have it, is a, um, a, a recognisable story. A family go to this this uh, remote farmhouse, they rent it, what they're doing there, who knows, but they rent it, then the vampire comes in, attacks the girl, but they don't get a good sight of her. They leave because it's so horrible, then she persuades them, oh, come on, it must have just been a, a lunatic that escaped, so let's all go back there. So you have the, and then there's the denouement where they follow, they get the local uh, farmers and they go to the crypt and they set fire to it. So that is supposed to be a true story, but it has the shape of a fictional story. So I think Elliot took the bones of the folklore and made it into something that people would enjoy rather than just going, oh, okay. There was uh, back, well, a few decades ago now, but there was a, a spate of authors putting together uh, stories, paranormal, supernatural, and kind of laying them out as if they were real uh, and yeah. having them retold as, well, you know, this, this real, I mean, there's a, I think there's a, a book, uh, Memoirs of a Ghost Hunter. And, oh, uh, yeah, okay. And uh, I think that's got some stories in there that are kind of retold and you, you kind of think, hmm, maybe that sounds more like a, something you'd get, you know, a folk tale that's been told and it's been told so many times that it's now looked upon as a real event. And mm. as, a, as, you, what, as you've just said, and with, with stories as a whole, when we get to sort of the, the 60s and the 70s, they kind of move over into television. And we get this kind of 
the TV episodes, like for example, one of the classics called Supernatural, where they would each week they would tell a story and it would be reenacted and as if a true event or something there where they'd re retell a story in like a a mini sort of horror you know episode where do you, where do you think the crossover there between media television uh radio and the written page something that's in the book is there is there a definite difference or do the two things end up becoming sort of so mixed up that it's hard to tell apart i think the shape of the story remains the same whatever medium really so, you know, when you're talking about those folklore stories of Beowulf and Grendel mm -hmm. told around the campfire or in the, in the hall, uh, and then the Arthurian stories in the Middle Ages, and then the bloke in the pub in Ireland telling you the story of the Banshee and things mm. like this, um, they then become written because, of course, the written story only people couldn't read. Mm. So, and then what we see with this, what we're finding now is people are consuming their stories um, by ear, so they're going to podcasts rather than reading them, and also television, and then film, and so it's basically the same thing. Uh, the story shape generally remains the same; it's just the medium that changes. Uh, and uh, one thing you said about that was supposedly real—I think when they first told Beowulf and Grendel, they believed it was true. Um, and it's and I remember when you particularly with a horror story, if you get something like uh, if you tell if you say to people this is true, people are terrified. Look at the the Blair Witch Project when when it yeah, was, when it was true, yeah. people were terrified because oh my god these things are real and then it comes out that it isn't the Amityville horror. I remember being terrified reading the Amityville horror because it was supposed to be this pig demon that was real. Yeah, and then you find out oh, it's actually not really real, or there may be something in it that's real, but it's been embellished. So, um, yeah, when you think it's real, it's a lot scarier. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. That's that's quite true. So, mm. as you uh, are, you, you seem to be quite a fan of the supernatural, paranormal, a bit of horror. Where mm. do you stand on uh, shows like uh, Hammer House of Horror, stuff like that, that has that more kind of uh, generic kind of, uh, you know, it's the, it's there for scares, but also... It you know it's that thing of its time. If you did that now, it it wouldn't kind of work. Where yeah. do you think that that kind of had its place back then? Did you think that that benefited from you know it's a step up from uh you know something you get on the TV for a half an hour? It's more sort of a like a film. But would you think that people would substitute that from picking up a book and reading a story? Would they rather sort of sit and watch that? Well, I think if we're talking about that, I remember watching it like, you know, the Hammer movies and things yeah. like that. And I also remember me reading the Pan book of horror stories around the same time. So I certainly did both. Um, and I guess the Hammer the Hammer stuff was, uh, looking back, it's pretty camp, isn't it? Mm. But I don't remember thinking that at the time. No. Um, and it, 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 you know, you think you had those bosomy women and it, there was that erotic thing to a lot of it yeah where you, you you couldn't get away with that and and so it was serving up a mix of things to to the audience that they the audience consumed you know um and and you do i think the things we make now i often think about this in when i'm reading the stories you know and i said the stories we read go from late when novels start coming in 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 the the popular novel, mm -hmm. which was people used to say, people you shouldn't read novels; they ruin you. There was a big outcry against them, as as much as there is to TikTok videos now. 
uh, they were thought to ruin people. You know, they shouldn't, you shouldn't really read novels because they downgrade your mind. Uh, they're trivial. So, but with some of the stuff that we get and I read out and I think it's, it's full of things that we couldn't say now. So I think when you look at the, the range of the, the years of the stories we do from the late 1700s right through to the latest decade, the things that you can say and can't say change. And that's true on television as well. If you think of Hammer, some of the things they did now, we wouldn't do now. And that's usually the casual references, the homophobic, the racist, the misogynistic, sexist stuff that they just trot out and they, don't even, they think it's amusing. And uh, we would never do that now. Whereas going back to the Victorians, they would they would say things like that without thinking about it. That was just normal. But they would and a hint of sexuality would be absolutely taboo. So things change, and I guess they will continue to change. And as stories go forward, they will just reflect their era, I yeah. suppose. So, what's your favourite kind of story to narrate? What do you what what when you find a story and it's you, you must have kind of a a favourite. Uh, topic or subject or style of story um well i think there are two really there are some that are really fun to do because they're absolutely over the top and that is like edgar Allan poe and lovecraft mm -hmm. whose language is so outrageously over the top with so many obscure words and things like that that you can really ham it up and you can do i did uh, the hounds of tinderloss by frank belknap long not, not long ago and that is that is that is like a hammer story, really. It's it's um it was nineteen thirties, I think. And so I have to do this whale in it, you know, and I <laughs> and you have you end up doing that in, in Poe as well. You you like and he he has a lot of crazy people and he you get to shout and uh, do things. so I like that. And then the other is the 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 narrational stuff. So what I mean is a lot of the older stuff and when you write stories, you're told to show, not tell. Mm -hmm. In the old days, they just told. They would tell you the story. Mr. Jones went to this, and what happened was this, and what happened was this, and what happened was this. Whereas what you're supposed to do now is look it through the look at it through the eyes of the protagonist. So, and I think that's due to the influence of cinema, because since cinema came along, we're used to looking through the eyes of the person rather than being told secondhand what they did. Um, but the old stuff tends to be told. That isn't as much fun to read. So I like the over-the-top stuff, but I also like the conversational things when you can actually act it. You know, you can do... Um, I'm doing a private commission for somebody mm. uh, of one of Anne Rice's books at the moment, and I can't do that publicly because it's a copyright issue, but I can do it for, uh, you know, for a friend, if you like. And she, although some, some of it I think is a little bit overwritten, but um, and it's pretty gothic, and I like that. So I like gothic stories as well. But um, I, I can get to act the 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 character actors as well, and I like doing that. So that comes out. So where did your um, interest in all of this? When did it start? I mean, you seem to have uh, quite a, a good grasp on on the whole sort of authors and storytelling mm. and stuff. Where did did you did you get any kind of formal training, or is it something you've taught yourself? Um, I mean, I did, I've always liked stories. I was, I used to write stories when I was quite small and I thought, well, what will happen will be, I'll be picked up. I wrote my first novel when I was 21 and, uh, I would be picked up and I would soon be, you know, Stephen King or somebody or yeah. even Tolkien or somebody. 
but that never happened. So I've been writing for a long time. I've been interested in story. I've read a lot of, I've, gone, I've done odd courses, but nothing formal. I mean, I did, I did my A-level English. I did, I did literature in, at university, but actually not English literature. I did, I did um, Celtic literature, um, which I suppose ties into the folklore and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, so I've been interested in stories for a long time, but particularly supernatural stories. I guess as a child of the 70s, you know, we were watching Children of the Stones, so there's the folklore stuff mm, in there, yeah. and Time Slip, so there was the, and the Doctor Who, the, the demons, that was one of my favorite yeah. episodes, the demons, and they've lost that one of all, they've lost most of it. Uh, so that, so there was definitely a folk horror thing. I, the folk horror happened then, and I definitely was part of that. So from that time and then, yeah, yeah. So really, I guess the supernatural and science fiction and fantasy was very much part of my growing up in the 70s. Fascinating. So as we're coming to the end of this episode, I've still got a couple of uh, nagging questions that I'm going to have to ask you because, uh, it, after all, it is paratalk. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I listen to, I've listened to a lot of your, uh, your podcasts and I find them highly enjoyable. And, of course, you know, the links are going to be in the, the description of this podcast and i, I re highly recommend anyone if you want to if you want to uh get a good set of headphones and get yourself in a dark room and listen and you will find it totally enjoyable um but the paranormal in general ghosts hauntings what's your take on it well i've been around a lot of haunted castles uh, in my time and stayed in a lot of haunted hotels and i've had a few experiences uh, that are hard to explain. So I saw a, a, a ghost cat in a, in a castle in Ireland, in a castle in Northumberland, Chillingham Castle. The door suddenly burst open. I was at Dalston Hall, and I had this weird automatic writing thing. This entity came through my hand. Um, so there's something going on. Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you what, what, I, what it is, but, uh, yeah, I'm a believer. I am a believer, yeah. So do you think that... Uh... My, my second question uh, is regarding this is, do you think a, uh, a place, for example, a castle, uh, has many, many hundreds of years of inhabitants? Families live there, they fall out with each other, they, people die there, all, all manner of things happen. And of course, you know, it's where we get our, our classic stories of castles. But yeah. do you think that that in itself can make a haunting? Or do you think that us telling each other stories of what might have happened there or things that have gone on helps create the haunting? Well, this is, yeah, it's a question that you can't really answer. I guess an intensity of living and experience kind of soaks the place and gives it atmosphere. But definitely certain places seem to have atmosphere. And I should say that my, my partner, who I live with, Sheila, is very into dowsing and stone circles mm -hmm. and energies earth energies and things and so we go to to those kind of places as well and there are certain places whitby being one of them now whether whitby is like it is because of dracula story or whether he um bram stoker chose whitby because of the feeling of whitby but whitby's got all sorts of stuff going on and there's the abbey that was built there so it might be that certain places have energies that we uh, unconsciously recognize and so we're drawn to them. Hmm. I, I don't know. But yes, certain places definitely are more, more compelling in that way than others. Absolutely. And your, your, uh, your visits to you know, haunted locations, 
Has there ever been a time when you've really been scared or really been frightened? No. No? But I've never been to the ancient Ram um, oh. and I uh, down in Gloucestershire. And I, from what I hear, that is a really, really frightening place. So um, I don't know if it's open to the public at the moment. There was a place near um, Garstang as well in Lancashire, a hall that was closed. And those were supposed to be two really, really scary places. I can't remember that. Garstang Hall, potentially. Um, mm-hmm. And also the ancient Ram at Wooden Under Edge down in Gloucestershire. Yep. And they I mean, were supposed yeah. to be scary places. But I've never been scared. I've had little shivers up my spine, but I've never been terrified, no. Well, totally fascinating. And I have to thank you, Tony, for coming on this episode because, you know, that was uh, certainly uh, very interesting. Um, let, let everyone know where they can get hold of you, where they can find your shows, uh, website, to anything like that. Okay. So easy, really. If you Google the Classic Ghost Stories podcast, you will come across us either on YouTube or the website or on your podcast host, whether you listen to Apple or Spotify or whatever, or, or Podchaser or anybody else. Just Google the Classic Ghost Stories podcast and you will come. You will get a link. Excellent. Uh, and, of course, links will be in the description, paratalkpodcast.com. I have to thank everyone for listening. I've got to thank you again, Tony, because that was totally fascinating. And until next time, I'll see everybody again. Thanks for having me. Thank you.